Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for April 13th, 2018. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And welcome to the show, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta, and I believe it's May, not April, David. Did I say <laughs> April? I'm sorry. I was I was getting my Mother's Day thing queued up. At least I didn't say Father's Day. Um, well, And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes. Well, good to have us all back and getting the show going. We are going to have Lowell Feld on in about 20 minutes. Um, my voice is cracking a little bit, but not like it would have been last uh, Sunday, um, among other things. But uh, we've got plenty of politics to talk about, and we kind of have one story that, that touches several others. And it's been some recent poll numbers that have come out, both you know general ballot tests for Congress, uh, Donald Trump's approval ratings, just a lot of different factors. And it looks to be that the Democratic Party um, is not in the position it was even a month ago. Um, now, it could be the way polls are taken, the way polls are. But if you look at the numbers, they are definitely, you know, the blue lines a tick down and the red lines a tick up. Um, Tim, you kind of, I guess, brought our attention to this uh, more so or first. Um, kind of what are your thoughts on this? Well, it does appear that Trump and the Republicans are both gaining some and the Democrats are fading just a little bit. Uh, On Trump's approval, two of the main ones, Spy38.com and Real Clear Politics, that both show aggregate polling, Five thirty-eight has Trump at forty-two point one. Now, Real Clear Politics has him at forty-three point four, and both of them have him at like a fifty-two or fifty-three percent disapproval. Uh, it's not great, but it's better than it was. Uh, as for the generic ballot test. We were consistently a couple of months ago running seven or eight ahead. Now we're down to around six. Real Clear Politics has it at 6.1, and 538.com has it at 5.8. Republican gains, by the way, are exclusively among white voters. Uh, They had about a five-point lead on white voters in January. Now that lead is 14 points. Uh, And there's a variety of reasons, I think, for this. It looks that, for one thing, recent events are all moving favorably toward Trump. The economy's doing well. Uh, There's good news about the North Korean summit. the, the Russia probe is losing steam with Republican voters quickly, something now like 61% pretty much of, of the whole thing. Um, uh, uh, with the gun violence uh, issue is, again, as it has every time, faded quickly from memory. Um, and another thing I think that both Trump's people and the Republican in Congress because of the way they're deferring to him are are doing, but they're really normalizing this guy. They're turning Donald Trump into a normal human being, which, of course, he ain't, but they're beginning to convince the American people of that because, well, the sky ain't falling, the world ain't blowing up, Donald Trump said something else, crazy today well so what it's just another day blah 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 so that uh, has all conspired together i think to uh you know one story said the blue wave is turning into a trickle 
I don't think it's gone that far yet, but it seems to be moving in that direction. Yeah, Catherine, this is kind of two parts. One's Donald Trump's approval rating. The other's the congressional um, generic ballot. Um, with Donald Trump, I mean, you see he's 42 and 30 and 53. He's upside down by a good 10 points. Um, it's kind of like he was getting Fs and now he's getting D pluses. Um, how excited should he really be? Well, I don't think he cares about about. I mean, I think he cares, but I, I don't think he's too worried about it. I don't think he pays much attention to those to those polls. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that he has even that much favorability, but. That's from my uh, my uh, lens, which is decidedly uh, anti-Trump. So I guess it's not surprising. Um, as far as the um, blue wave turning into a trickle, I think there's still a lot of excitement out there about the elections. I think we see that here in Georgia. I think we, I think the primaries coming up are going to be a indicator of how our Democratic voters are doing, and hopefully they'll be coming out. Um, And like David said, or like Tim said, I think the fact that it's so many uh, white voters, that the white voting, the white voters are, you know, decidedly pro-Trump, and so that means we have to really focus the voters of color, uh, Hispanics, Asians, African-Americans, and really hope that they come out strong in the primaries, which will be an indicator of how we do in November. But I'm not as, I don't, you know, you know me, I don't, six months out, I don't put a lot of faith in, in some of these polls. And I certainly, I certainly don't put a lot of faith in number, in polls that are uh, pretty much relying on people clicking on their headlines. And so the headlines like the blue wave becomes a trickle is very appealing that people want to know what that means. And I just don't put a lot of confidence in it. I'd be interested in seeing some polls from our friends at public policy polling and some of the more, uh, I mean, 538, come on, Nate, Silver is not nearly as reliable as he used to be. Uh, so that's how I, I'm skeptical, I guess, is the final word. I've been our voters and continue to work to get them out to the polls and continue to promote our good all our good candidates and just keep keep pushing along and not let oh, I mean, I'll say this. yeah well nate silver and i listen to the 538 podcast pretty much every week and i don't think he's as bullish on his numbers or anybody's numbers he actually talks about probabilities and if there's a 38 percent chance of something and then a 62 not he actually says well that means the 38 percent chance is uh, not a bad chance. I mean, he actually tries to explain probabilities. Just because you're over 50 doesn't mean that's a done deal uh, by any means. So he kind of tries to, to wash that away. But, Catherine, you mentioned Georgia. They just have started early voting in the past week, and I saw a headline or two saying that early voting numbers, really on both sides, I mean, so this isn't a, a blue-red Democratic-Republican argument here, but that the numbers – we're pretty anemic for early voting, that there's a lot of apathy, there's a lot of undecided. And so Georgia's really kind of a place where apathy's reigning. Um, I mean, you know, it's just not as – people aren't as galvanized, at least in this state, as um, it seems like they would. Now, obviously, the special election for the 6th District was a little more galvanized, but as far as um, – the primary, uh, it wasn't as good a turnout. Now, we had a lot of primaries just past week, Ohio, uh, Indiana, West Virginia. I'm forgetting another state, wet North Carolina. Um, so, Tim, have you seen that story that, uh, that Georgia's numbers are just not where, they, where you would think they would be for an early vote? Yes, yes, I have. Uh, early voting um, is down, Um there, there doesn't seem to be a great deal of excitement in either party, and the Republicans are taking more ballots in the early uh, voting so far than Democratic voters are. I'm, I'm not uh, 
I'm I'm not seeing any rush to the polls now. You know, yesterday I believe was a, a get out the vote day because it's a Saturday early voting day. But uh, I'm just uh, I'm just a little concerned about Georgia right now, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I think there's two possible narratives. Um, one is not a problem. The other would be a problem. One might be. Hey, both of these ladies named Stacy would be great at the top of the ticket. We're, we're happy with either one. And then, well, so I'm just going to, you know, vote on Tuesday, the election day, or maybe if I don't make it, it's okay. And, and that one would not be a huge problem, but then it could be, you know, I don't think we win this one, so what's the point? Now, if that's the, the take, I think that would be very concerning because then that whole idea of, you know, getting all these new voters out to the polls – that makes that strategy all the tougher. Catherine, do you think it's either of those things? Well, first of all, the election isn't for 10 more days, right, a week from Tuesday. Yeah. So while early voting might be down, that doesn't necessarily mean that voting is going to be down. Um, it is a, a primary. We, we never expect – I mean, we, we hope for it, but we really don't expect it. So I'm going to hold off my uh, my misery until – May 23rd. Yeah, I, I just and it could be either one, I, I, but I did see the numbers are down, and usually that's kind of like, and I will say I kind of looked at it the other way and felt good. You looked at the early vote between the 20 before the 2016 election, and the numbers are really positive, and you're thinking, man, there's a lead in Florida, there's a lead here and a lead there, and a lot of evaporated. Um, because honestly, you can vote early, you can vote on election day, but you can only vote once. Uh, so it's not like um, early voting turns into extra votes all the time. It just can't. Uh, but then the other side of this, this congressional ballot race. Now, I do find, Tim, the numbers you pointed out much more concerning. And, um, you know, if you look at a group, now we can say white voters, but white voters make up somewhere between 60 and 66% of the national electorate do either one of y'all know the exact mm. figure of what white voters make up i don't know it was like 63 percent i believe in the 2016 election sounds about i got right. on each side of it so yeah you average 60 and 66 you get 63 so if you said a group that makes up 63 percent of the national electorate went from tim was it a four-point lead a five to a fourteen. That was that was the basically the bump in Trump's. Actually, it was GOP gains in the uh, generic test. Yeah, yeah. That's and where so they're that's making all of, their gains. And that's kind of fill the math. I mean, you know, we, 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 that was a big uh, hashtag about two years ago. Fill the math. I mean, if you take a nine-point hit with a group that's 63% of an electorate, that's not a good thing. I mean, you, that's yeah. that's a several percentage point thing. And therefore, I think that's what we really got to look at is, is let's just look at how we get votes because if you start just pushing away, you know, 63% of a population, <laughs> an overwhelming majority, that's not a good thing. Um, and I think there are some – people on the Democratic side that that kind of are like, oh, well, we can never get those voters. Well, if there were 6.3% of the voters, you could live without them. But 63, that's just too many folks. Um, and if you look at how different elections have been won, um, you move voters over. And Barack Obama moved white voters over. I mean, he moved the state of Iowa over. Um, and, and, you know, that's a state where you ain't going to move anybody else because it's virtually all white people. So you've got to be able to learn to, to, to move all voters over, and if, and that's a concerning number. Hopefully their sample was bad. Now, if that poll took a bad sample of it wasn't a good cross-section of, of voters in general, a good cross-section of white voters, then maybe there'll be some hope there. Um, Tim, have you gotten any inclination of any blogs that have gone on and kind of cross-aggregated that data to see if um, – it was a good sample well, of voters. Well, see, this it, it ain't just one sample. We are talking about aggregate polling here. 
when we're talking about somebody like real clear politics. They're taking an average of all the polls along with all of their crosstabs and putting them out there, and that's what they're coming up with. And 538 pretty well backs that up. Um, so they two big have outfits an average like breakout that of say it. the same thing. Say the same thing. I, I, I got to believe that's – I mean, they're gaining somewhere, and it would make sense that their gains would be among uh, white voters and not voters of – you know, and not, not minority, not my, uh, voters of color. Uh, they're not making really any gains among those, except for perhaps in one race in the state of Florida that we'll talk about shortly that could be concerning. Yeah. But uh, – uh, Trump Trump is, is making all his gains among Republican voters, and Republicans are making all their gains among white voters, and that's just where we're at. Yeah, and, and I mean, one would think that you have a president makes so many missteps, you know, turns off so many people. He has said things that shock even his base, or one would hope. Even including this week, um, you know, the comments that somebody in his administration made about John McCain. I'm wondering if we've just, if if just so much, if he's just said so much, so many times that people are genuinely starting to just accept this as part of the normal politics in America from now on. That that is just going to be this way. And and it don't matter about that, about what he says. Uh, all we're looking at now is the economy and, and, and other things. So, uh, well, well, Catherine, kind of that point, I mean, do you agree with Tim that uh, we've got reached that point and we can use what one of his uh, administration members that was – sounds like in no way publicly reprimanded um, for just saying, you know, one day John McCain will be dead soon and it won't matter. I mean, she's saying this about a, a member of the U.S. Senate. Uh, a member that was the head, essentially the head of their party at one point, and uh, a prisoner of war hero. So what's the question? I mean, I mean, do you think we've reached that point where Donald Trump can do or say anything, and there's a good section of America I, or a good section of his base that just won't care? I think we reached that point a long time ago. <laughs> Don't you? I mean <laughs> – Mm-hmm. This has been going on now for six, what uh, a year and a half. I mean, I think by what? May of 2017, we were feeling that way. It's been a year. I, I mean, I yeah, just, I, but that, I think he. What? I'm sorry. Maybe I. Well, is it a majority of his base, or majority of Republicans, or majority of voters? I mean, when a when a Doug Jones can win in a race in Alabama, you maybe still a majority of his base will take anything he says, but maybe a majority of voters, a majority of Republicans, a majority of uh, red states voters won't take anything. Um, You know, kind of in some of these special elections, you see inklings that there are persuadable voters still. Um, Well, I think it's his base, you know, accepts all this stuff, and probably some percentage of the of the, you know, standard um, Republican voters. Um, but I'll be honest with you, and we've talked about this before, I don't believe in changing our message to reach them. I think the smartest no, I, thing is to get everybody everybody voting. Get all the Democrats Well, you get vote. everybody voting because it would be great if we all stray and everybody votes. But then um, you have to... Um, also, it's not so much change your message as what do you want to emphasize. I can give you three points, and what are you going to pick? I mean, we were, we'll talk about it later, but we have a governor's race, Republican side, and you got one guy talking about things that more of the people hopefully will care about, and another guy blowing crap up and talking about very uh, limited issues. But we'll get to that later. So, I mean, it's a lot of times what do you choose to emphasize, not changing your you know positions. But this time, let's go ahead and um, change up what we're talking about and go specifically to the state of Virginia and welcome back Lowell Feld. Welcome to the show, Lowell. Hey, thanks, David. How's it going? Yeah, going good. Going even better with you on the show. Um, well, we All had, right. had you on since that really stunning election, and kind of we were talking about how 
it's not been the best week polling-wise for Democrats. And yeah. um, probably one of the examples of do we worry was going into the Virginia governor's race. Um, it was not by any means a, a slam dunk for Democrats. And then mm-hmm. Democrats kind of exceeded expectations. Kind of tell us how that unfolded, uh, in particular the, on the governor's side, but then even down the ballot, Democrats did well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Going into that election, I guess the last time I talked to you guys was before the before that election. I think a few weeks before that election. But the um, thinking was that uh, the Democratic candidate for governor, Ralph Northam, would probably win by like maybe three points, four points, something like that. Um, he ended up winning by nine points. So we he far exceeded expectations or internal. Those were from the uh, Northam campaign's internal numbers, polling numbers. They were saying he'd win by about two or three points. Maybe they were being conservative. I don't know. But anyway, um, so he won by nine. And because he won by nine, in in part because he won by nine, we ended up picking up 17 seats in the Virginia House of Delegates. So it turned into this incredible night which um, very few people really saw coming to that extent. We, we actually needed – we had 34 out of 100 House of Delegates seats leading into that election, which is horrend- horrendously bad. I mean, 34 out of 100 is terrible, but we needed to pick up 17 to get to 51. We ended up picking up 15, um, and we almost picked up 16. Remember, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a tie in one of the House of Delegates races, and they pulled the name out of a ceramic bowl to determine the winner because that's how you break a tie in Virginia, I guess. <laughs> and so, um, so we came that close to 50, 50 from down to you know from 34 up to 50. So anyway, um, so yeah, I mean. Hopefully, to the extent that Virginia is foreshadowed, Virginia 2017 foreshadows what's going to happen in 2018. I mean, I, I think that's you know a, a good sign. Now, the big question is whether the Democratic enthusiasm and anger against Trump and just motivation to vote does that continue into 2018? And we've seen indications that it is with special elections so far. But will it continue into November? I mean, Trump's poll numbers are edging up a little bit, so you know we'll see. But um, yeah, so that that was kind of that's the short story of what happened. I mean, we uh, by the way, the, the seventeen number was an interesting one because there were seventeen exactly seventeen House of Delegates districts that were held by Republicans that um, Hillary Clinton and/or Barack Obama had won. So those were ones that we were that, that, that if we had a huge victory at the top of the ticket we were hoping we could even run the table and pick up 17 and take back the house of delegates with 51 we came very close again we picked up 15 so so you know not bad um so that that's kind of the short version of of what happened i mean if you have any other questions on it you know let me know yeah i'm sure we will and let me ask you one more you mentioned that special election um have, are there any more special elections on the horizon? Because we know we, in your state legislatures, you're much more likely to have someone have to retire because of, you know, family concerns yeah. or what have you than we have a limited few, um, you know, congressional elections. Has anything happened where there, some of those races might um, become in play before the next election cycle? Doesn't look like it uh, at the moment. No, um, I mean we were thinking there's a court case. I think I, may, I think we may have talked about this before. It's been out there for over a year now. Uh, in fact, it was sent back from the Supreme Court over a year ago, back to the Eastern District of of Virginia uh, Circuit Court uh, about about basically racial packing and gerrymandering. And um, they sent it back and said, okay, you guys, you know, fix it. You Eastern uh, District of Virginia Court Circuit Court, you fix it. And I, I don't know what's going on. I keep asking about it, and uh, people don't. They're like, I don't know. I mean, it's they. Everybody thought. I mean, how long does it take for a court to? It's over a year now, you know. So that would have potentially spurred several special elections, but um, but I don't know. We're all like waiting, and at this point, it's probably too late anyway. For we're already into you know the middle of May. Um, even if the court were to, you know, redraw the districts now, I don't, I mean, we already, it's kind of pretty late for, to call special elections, you know, for House of Delegates for this November. I, I, I doubt it. Um, so anyway, no, and, and we haven't had any, like, 
you know, anything, anyone uh, quit or where we had a special election like that. So, um, so that's where we're at right now. I mean, you know, we have next year, 2019, we'll have the entire Virginia General Assembly, state Senate and House of Delegates will be up, but no statewide elections on the ballot in 2019. But, you know, that's still a lot, the entire General Assembly. So we need to pick, we'll need to pick up one in the House of Delegates to get to 50, 50 tie, and two to get to 51-49 and, and take control outright of the uh, House of Delegates. State Senate, we're down 21-19, so we'll need to pick up one there to get to 2020. And actually then we'd control it because we have the lieutenant governor uh, who could break that tie in organizing the state Senate. So we need to pick up one next year in the state Senate. But that that's skipping ahead to 2019. Uh, we have to get through 2018 first, so you know there's a lot to do yeah. in uh, in 2018. Well, I don't want to skip over all the questions of our gas call the questions from our co-hosts, so I'm going to call on Catherine, and she'll call on Tim, and and we'll ask you some more about Virginia. Catherine, hi, Lowell. How's it going? Oh, pretty good, Catherine. How about you? Yeah, we're doing all right here in Atlanta. Um, yeah. So, what is it? What is the congressional race? What do the congressional uh, field look like for 2018 in Virginia? Yeah, that's uh, that's a really uh, that so that's the one coming up, you know, the soonest really is the and, and the one we're all excited excited about here uh, and focused on because June 12th, which is only a few weeks from now, we have primaries uh, to choose our nominees, you know, and, and the Republicans do too. Um, but we can get into that. But first, let's start with the Democrats. Um, June 12th, we're going to select nominees for a bunch of uh, house, uh, a bunch of, uh, congressional, um, districts. Uh, the, the marquee race is the 10th congressional district, which, uh, I think we've talked about. It stretches from basically Northern Virginia, like just West of Arlington. If you know this area, uh, McLean, it's a, you know, wealthy, very blue uh, suburban Washington, D.C., all the way out to the West Virginia border. It's this huge, like, sprawling district um, that uh, is definitely it's definitely a winnable district. Um, Hillary Clinton uh, carried that district by six points in 2016. Um, Ralph Northam, the Democrat for governor uh, last year, carried it by 12 points. Um, wow. it's held, held, yeah, it's held by a Republican, Barbara Comstock. Um, she won it by six points in 2016 as Hillary, Hillary Clinton won it by six and Barbara Comstock won it by six. So the democratic candidate for Congress, who was a decent candidate. I mean, that's the thing. It's, you know, so you can't just say like, it was a horrible, we had a horrible candidate. I mean, she lost by six and, um, so Barbara Comstock overperformed there. So, but that's a top target. We have six Democrats running for that nomination, uh, they're raising like hunt. I mean, it's pretty good for that district. You know, I mean, Usually, you know, in that district, um, we've had historically we had this incumbent Frank Wolf was there forever, and it was just seen as hopeless. And so, be lucky if you got one or two, can, you know, one candidate run. You know? uh, and we, but right. we have, I, I would say six. That. What's that? Sorry, go ahead. I think we're seeing that in a lot of places. There's a lot of excitement about some of these races, so it seems to yeah. be also happening in that. District. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to. Yeah, yeah. That. So they're like all over the country, right? So you got yeah. hundreds of Democrats running. So in that district, you have six serious candidates. I mean, they're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, it's um, and and you know, it's uh, they're having a lot of debates, indivisible, and all these groups are holding forums and debates all over the district. And um, so that that's the marquee race, though. I mean, I think it's considered that district is considered in the top two or three in the country like that are top democratic targets we have to win that's the type of district we have to win a suburban district went for hillary clinton went for ralph northam by 12 points last year for governor i mean if we can't win well let's be positive like i can say it in a negative way if we can't win that district we're screwed but like if you know, so that one is a district we should win, and and you know, um, the road to Democrats taking back the House of Representatives definitely goes through places like the tenth. So that's the number exactly. one. Yeah, and then and then I'd say after that there are two or three other um, 
districts that are certainly possibilities. If we're having a good night, like a decent-sized wave, blue wave, whatever you want to call it, or even a blue tidal wave, that we could pick up the 7th Congressional District. That's um, Representative Dave Bratt, who you might know. He's the one who knocked off uh, Eric Cantor uh, back in 2014. That was the, So he's the giant slayer of the former majority leader, House you know, Republican uh, majority leader. And uh, the guy's very far right. He's part of the Liberty Caucus, Freedom Caucus, whatever you call it. Um, crazy caucus. <laughs> and um, so there are two candidates there, both I think very strong candidates. Uh, one's a woman, one's a man. Abigail Spanberger and Dan Ward. Oh, that's another thing, by the way. In the in the tenth, there are um, four women and two men. And I think in general, we're seeing a you know a, all across the country, we're seeing a lot of women, um, you know, running. And I think we're going to see a lot of women winning. And in fact, so far we have. So uh, in in what we've seen in primary so far. Um, so that's that's a district we we could win. I mean, uh, it went for Trump by six points. Went for Ed Gillespie, the Republican candidate for governor last year, by four points. So pretty close. And you know, I mean, think about Connor Lamb, won a district that Trump won by twenty points. Right. So you know, I say that's if we're having a wave, and, and I think we're going to have a strong candidate there. That's a good one. Another one is the second congressional district, which is the Hampton Roads area, Virginia Beach, um, uh, Norfolk, down down in you know the eastern part of uh, southeastern Virginia, um, and that one is another sort of purple district. Ralph Northam won it by four points. Trump won it by three. Uh, you know, we have two women vying for that nomination on the Democratic side against Representative Scott Taylor, so that's potentially winnable. Um, the fifth is potentially winnable, uh, which is um, where actually Tom Perriello, that's his former district, but it was redistricted, so it's tougher. But um, the representative there is Tom Garrett, uh, Republican, hard right Republican. He was famously pictured posing with these white the white supremacists, including Jason Kessler. Yeah. And this came out after the Charlottesville um, Nazi, neo-Nazi march and everything. So. Uh, so that's an interesting one, um, and we have actually in that district um, Leslie Cockburn. That we had that's the one district we had. We did not have a primary. We had a, a caucus convention method of nomination. So our nominee's been chosen there, and it's, uh, her name's Leslie Cockburn. Her daughter is Olivia Wilde. I don't know if you know who she is. She's an oh, yeah. actress. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. She's, and and Leslie Cockburn actually she she's written a ton of books. She's uh, been on uh, 60 Minutes, uh, Frontline, CBS. I mean, she's a very famous, like pretty famous journalist, and uh, interviewed Muammar Gaddafi and all this stuff. So, you know. So anyway, wow. she's our nominee. Yeah, she's very pretty wealthy too. Like, and well, her daughter very wealthy, but um, her daughter actually I checked her Twitter feed. Her daughter has like three million. Or is 3.5 or something like that million Twitter followers. I mean, she's, so anyway, um, that's going to be an interesting one. So yeah, I think uh, we've got several districts here in Virginia. The tenth, we have to win. The seventh, we can can win. The second, we can win. The fifth, we can win. So you know, it's um, it's it's really part of it's how big a wave we're going to have nationally, and part of it is going to be how strong campaigns these people run and how, you know, the Republicans, uh, strong campaigns they run. So that's kind of where we're at here in Virginia. But we, we could theoretically pick up, you know, two, three, anywhere from one to four. I mean, if we had a super tsunami, I guess we could even pick up more than that. But we'll just, we'll just well, be, that we'll sounds, stop there. That sounds promising. Yeah. I'm going so. to go ahead and pass it to Tim now. Thank you. Okay. Tim. Lowell, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Tim. Good. How about you? Doing pretty well. Um, I, I was reading your blog a little bit, and it looks like Uh-oh. you guys are going to have your <laughs> own uh, pipeline fight up there over natural gas. So what's going <laughs> on with that? Is it And is the governor in the crosshairs of that fight? Yeah, he he kind of is. With he's kind of gotten crosswise, I'd say uh, maybe cross hairs or crosswise. I don't know. But with with the active with a lot of environmental activists, 
Um, and also some environmental groups. I mean, it's interesting because it's interesting because like some of the major environmental groups gave him a lot of money during his run for governor. Virginia League of Conservation Voters, the Sierra Club, and others gave him a lot of money. And I'm not saying the pipelines are the only issue, but I mean these are two major new pipelines, natural fracked natural gas pipelines that go from the Marcellus Basin in you know Pennsylvania and West Virginia. They get gas from there and they go through Virginia to North Carolina. I mean, they may go further than that. I'm not sure. They may go into South Carolina too, and maybe for export. There's a lot of talk about that gas being exported. Uh, via, you know, liquefied natural gas to Europe or whatever. Um, so, you know, the, uh, the a lot of environmentalists, especially at the grassroots level, are, are not happy with this. So we've had people going up in trees, literally. And so there's two different things. One thing is environmentalists don't want, a lot of environmentalists don't want these pipelines. And then you have people who their land is being taken by an eminent domain Um it's being seized basically so that I mean parts of their land so that the pipeline companies can go through there with heavy equipment, chop down trees, you know, and, and they have to basically have like a hundred fifty wide foot wide uh right of way. And so basically and it's this is like wooded forested area, it's uh, beautiful mountain streams like you're talking about, uh with you know uh, trout or whatever's in these streams. I mean, it's like you know, it's 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 environmentally, it's really bad right there. There also was an estimate that I read that these two natural gas pipelines combined are like building. It would be the equivalent of building like I think it was like 35 new coal-fired power plants or something like that. Because you know, people say natural gas is clean. Well. It's a fossil fuel, last time I checked, and I worked at the energy department for 17 years. I'm pretty sure it's a fossil fuel. It has less um, CO2 content than coal, yeah, and less than oil, but it also has methane, which is a very, very potent greenhouse gas. So anyway, you've had these uh, people going up in trees and, uh, and a monopod, which I had never actually heard of a monopod before, but there's actually a woman up in a monopod. Um, she's been up there for a month or more than a month now, I think. And, um, to try to stop, at least on their land, to try to stop these pipeline people from coming through and cutting down trees and everything. So it's been quite dramatic. There've been a lot of protests every week in front of the governor's mansion. Um, you know, and just, uh, we've had press conferences, we've had legislators, coming out even and, you know, uh, speaking out against at least for doing a much more stringent environmental review process. Um, so, yeah, this just keeps going on and on and on. I think the governor is probably, like, really frustrated at this point because, you know, this just isn't stopping. Like, I mean, the environmental activists are not letting up, and it doesn't seem like they haven't yet. And, um I think he basically just wants this issue to go away. I mean, he <laughs> he doesn't he does he doesn't feel either he doesn't believe he can stop the pipelines. He doesn't think he has the power to do it or he does and he doesn't want to. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't read his mind, but so so yeah, this is a roiling sort of issue that's going on and you know, it's uh within the democratic base. It's on the democratic side mostly because I think this is fascinating. I mean, Republicans talk about property rights like they're they're sacred, except when what a fossil fuel company wants to go through there, then it's fine. Like yeah. I guess, okay, yeah. yeah, fine. You know, you want to build a natural gas pipe, seize people's land for that. Oh, yeah. okay then. <laughs> yeah. So that, well, you know, yeah. remember when they talked about family values, but with the present occupant of the White House, that talk suddenly ceased, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Now now it's locker room talk, you know. Uh, yeah, on yeah, another, that's fine. On another environmental subject now, um, G Georgia, of course, has a coastline, but you, you guys have a pretty long coastline, and, and, yeah. and offshore drilling would obviously be a big issue facing your state. How, how is that issue being viewed in Virginia? Uh, very negatively, pretty much amongst people who people in the Hampton Roads area, which would be the area that would be directly affected if there were an oil spill off the coast. 
Um, and um, also by people like Senator Tim Kaine have come out now against uh, drilling off the coast. Um, Ralph Northam actually has two, governor of Virginia. Um, I think most of the, I think almost every um, coastal state, except maybe Maine, because they have a crazy governor, but like crazy <laughs> right wing governor. But I, I think almost every state, including Florida, has come out against this, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so it's not, no, it's not viewed. Well, I don't think it's going to happen anyway, frankly. I mean, the economics of it don't really make sense along the East Coast. And but uh, another one that doesn't like it is the milita- military. By the way, they don't want. They feel like it will interfere with their operations, and we have a ma- you know major naval base down there, and uh, they don't. So they've they've actually they're not happy about it either. So so I'd say thumbs down on uh, pretty much Ixnay on the on the offshore drilling Ill- Illingdre or whatever. <laughs> yeah, forget okay, that. Okay, well. Let's try one more issue, and I want to ask you this one because of what you talked about earlier, the fact that the Democrats picked up 15 seats in your uh, Mm -hmm. state legislature, and you uh, essentially have a much different-looking legislature than you just had, say, two years ago. Yeah. Now, even in a state like Georgia, a Medicaid expansion is now seriously being discussed because uh-huh. of you know, you know, rural counties are just suffering. What about Virginia? Where does it stand there now? Well, where it stands in Virginia is we've been fighting over Medicaid expansion now for four years, I guess, five, four and a half years, whatever it's been, and uh, so now it looks like um, we're going to get it. I think. Uh, although don't put it past the Republicans to still tr- throw some obstacle, you know, an obstacle in the way and prevent it still. But what we're going to have is this week uh, the uh, legislature is coming back for another special session uh, to talk about the budget because we can't, we don't have a budget. Basically, the House of Delegates passed a budget that includes Medicaid expansion, even though House of Delegates is still, you know, fifty-one forty-nine Republican. They got. There are a number of Republicans who have now, including rural ones from poor rural areas where the hospitals are hurting, people are hurting. They actually, I mean, they should care about their constituents, you know. But anyway, um, they always should have. But so they've broken and, and ranks or whatever with the opposition to, to the evil Obamacare, quote unquote, and uh, and and Medicaid expansion, and and they're for it. So the House of Delegates passed budget with Medicaid expansion. The state Senate passed a budget without Medicaid expansion, and they have to reconcile that. Well, the state Senate right now, which is controlled by Republicans, barely, but they control it, um, they're dragging their heels, they're, like, stalling, and they're hemming and hawing, and the House of Delegates is actually, you know, saying, like, guys, what are you doing? We need you to, you know, we need to talk to you, we need to meet, we need to get into a... Uh, conference committee and work work out our differences and what are you doing? <laughs> and so I think the Republicans are actually getting frustrated. The House Republicans are frustrated with the Senate Republicans and vice versa. But um, it's weird because, you know, yeah, the House of Delegates Republicans, um, a number of them, again, you know, moved from opposition to Medicaid expansion to supporting Medicaid expansion. But most of the Senate Republicans are still holding firm. There are like two that have said they're definitely open to under certain conditions to Medicaid expansion. That's enough. That's all we need. I mean, that would be enough to get it through the Senate. But they can still, there are parliamentary maneuvers they can use to bottle it up and slow it down. And, you know, so that's where we're at right now. I mean, the governor is working very hard to try to work out a compromise. I mean, one of the things the Republicans want is work requirements, for Medicaid recipients, and Democrats don't like that. Uh, they don't think you should tie getting health care to forcing people to work, maybe giving them incentives to work or something. But so they're, you know, that's one issue, um, uh, you know, and there are other issues too. But anyway, so we're we're closer than we've ever been to Medicaid expansion in Virginia, and hundreds of thousands of people. Let's be clear here this is not just some academic issue there are hundreds of thousands of people who don't have access to affordable quality health care that will get it if we expand medicaid like and a lot of those people probably voted for trump 
They yeah. live in rural parts of it's that's right. the crazy thing. So anyway, I, we're closer than we've ever been. Think we're gonna get it, but I'll tell you at this point. I mean, I feel like you know Charlie Brown with the football or whatever. I'm not. <laughs> I'm. I am not assuming anything until this actually happens. But the yeah. deadline, by the way, uh, to get a budget is June 30th, at which point we would have a government shutdown um, nah. if we don't get a budget by then. So the pressure is going to build over the next few weeks, and uh, hopefully we'll get it done this week. But if not, uh, you know, we'll have to get it done by June 30th. All so that's right, where we're at man. here. Yeah. And with that, I will pass it back to David. David? All right. Hey, Lowell, thanks for being on with us. And I tell you what, there's probably an issue or two we didn't cover, but I believe they're ones that will keep for a little while because they're about November elections and even further after that. So we'll probably try to have you on sooner than later to discuss those things. All right, cool. All right. Great talking to you guys. Thanks again, Lowell. Good talking to you. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Lowell. All right, bye. Yes, that was Lowell Feld of Raising Cane. Not only does Lowell know Virginia probably better than anybody we talk to, Lowell probably knows his home state better than a lot of people we talk to. No disparagement to anybody else. He just really follows Virginia politics bottom to top and back again. Um, There's no doubt. But we're going to leave some things there so we can talk to Lowell again um, about Tim Kaine's reelection. Uh, is Terry McAuliffe a possible presidential contender? I saw it mentioned. Um, Lowell would know what the in-state view of that is. So we're going to talk to Lowell down the road about those. But I just knew we had to have some time to talk about Georgia. Um, We've talked a lot about the primary race in general, and we kind of wondered at one point, Casey Cagle, the sitting lieutenant governor, had a big lead. Would any of the other candidates do anything? Well, I'm not so sure it's effective. I kind of hope it's not effective, but one candidate definitely did something this week. Uh, Brian Kemp, the Secretary of State, who has not had the most glorious tenure in his uh, Secretary of State's job, but he didn't bother telling us how he protected voter records or you know gave cosmetologists licensing or any other profession. He talked about blowing things up, cutting things with chainsaw, and rounding criminal illegals his term up with his pickup truck um no doubt he didn't have a leer cap on that thing so i'm not exactly sure who he's gonna keep in a pickup truck as he rolls down the road um since you know you can hop out of a pickup truck um just word to the wise there um secretary kemp um but Catherine, uh i guess you've seen the commercial he's put a lot of points behind it it got national coverage not only georgia coverage but national coverage, what were your thoughts on this thing? Now, are you talking about the one where he, where he has the gun? No, okay, not the one where he threatened. Okay, there's right. This this Joker's done two ads. Uh, the second one actually was probably more offensive. The first one, he acts like he's got his uh, daughter's uh, boyfriend. I don't know if this is a real daughter's boyfriend or a paid actor. And he basically holds a gun there, a shotgun, shoot him if he does something to his daughter, which – Usually we're about protecting health care, protecting environment, not protecting one dude's daughter. But I'm talking about the second ad where, yes, he did have a gun. He also that. talked about his pickup think... truck, and he blew things up, and he chainsawed. Uh, some, he said he could use his chainsaw. Did you not see that I don't one? I I saw that one. But that seems to be the new theme for the GOP Republican ads is it's all about immigration and these um, – criminals that we've allowed to come into the country and how the Democrats want to, you know, open the borders and because um, Casey Cagle has one of those and so does uh, I think Well, Pippen This is a hold my beer them. ad. This is like whatever you can do, I can be much more outlandish. Um, it was on Political okay. Wire. Well, it got I covered I think, on I CNN and it was also covered at HAC. It was a whole nother level of crazy. It was really, to me, and Tim, you can tell me your thoughts, a lot of uh, male compensation because everything he talked about was some, uh, you know, cliche, stereotypical, you know, I'm a manly man kind of activity. And I don't know that anybody sees Brian Kemp as the, the manliest man in Georgia, irregardless of his chainsaw um, and his uh, shotgun and his pickup truck. What did you think of that, Ed, Tim? Well, 
Go ahead, Catherine, finish your thought. Well, I haven't oh. seen it, so go oh. ahead, Tim. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, the name of the ad is so conservative. Uh, where, where he ends the ad saying, yep, I said that, you know, while he's getting in his pick-em-up truck, and he starts the commercial off holding, like, what, 48 guns around him or something. <laughs> Uh, and he's talking about it, round up illegal immigrants in his big pickup truck. And more guns, more chainsaws, la-di-da. He's doubling down on this new wow factor thing. Uh, he gets free publicity by doing it. He, uh, 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 a lot of them do that now. They saw Trump do it and run a successful presidential campaign on a quarter of the money that his opponent had. And he was just on TV all the time getting free publicity because he said all these wild things. That's what Kemp is trying to do to just get noticed. He's looking at the same polls we're looking at. He is not trying to beat Casey Cagle here. He is trying to finish second with the thought that Cagle won't get 50% so he can make the runoff. Uh, His opponent is Hunter Hill. And he is trying to separate himself from Hunter Hill by showing everybody what a real, like you said, manly man he is. I think that's his whole point. It's just all the publicity he could get. Uh, You've heard the the old political saying, uh, about newspapers, I don't care what you say about me. Just make sure you spell my name right. Yeah, th- th- this is kind of like that, David. Oh yeah, and and it's so. Uh, so I mean, Tim, you probably seen it, Catherine. You may have seen it too. A lot of guys they'll buy pickup trucks and they never put anything in the bed. Uh, the thing's cleaner than a limousine, and it just mm-hmm. doesn't make sense to me because I own a pickup truck with a half bed, not even a full bed. And I probably should own a full bed because I actually I pick up a lot of scrap wood that I use. I'm getting sawed all the time to put on places. I'll have my truck all the way pushed down. But you know what? I've never had a pickup truck until I needed it. And when I stop doing all this crap, I'll probably get rid of it because that's what kills me. I'll see people, and it's not just, you know, Brian Kemp, but he fits this mold of these guys that think they need to own a pickup truck, and they never put anything in the back of it. They don't understand what the vehicle's for. It's for that part in the back to put crap in. And it just, it kind of kills me. And it, it's, you see it a lot. It just makes no good sense because they want to put on a, a, a facade. And, you know, people buy more expensive chainsaws than they need. Hopefully nobody's buying dynamite. Um, and I'm sure people, some people own guns <laughs> and don't even hunt because they just want to put them over their mantle or say they have one. Brian Kemp just seems like that kind of guy. My question is, are Republican voters that might even agree with him on some of this think that he's a bad vessel for this message? Catherine, do you think that you know Republicans will be smart enough to see through this regardless of how they feel about the issues? Oh, yeah, I don't think – I think that especially after the gun ad, even, even though um, they might appreciate it, I think he looks sort of like a, a – he's sort of a laughing stock to me. And obviously I'm not a very good gauge of that. But when you look at the other candidates, it seems like he's the – of the, you know, top four or whatever, he seems to be the one, the least believable or um, responsible or whatever. But Lord knows, I thought that in November 2016, too. So. Mm-hmm. Mm. Tim, do you think that Republican voters will see through it? No. No, I don't. Th- I, I think, as a matter of fact, there's a group of voters that, that, that'll warm right up to it. When, when I've seen how some of this bunch warmed up to Trump, yeah, I believe there's some that'll warm up to it. And I think there's at least enough of them that'll warm up to it. On the issue of guns that, you know, Hunter Hill had a little problem with that after the uh, 
shooting down in Florida, and the NRA didn't like what he had to say uh, with the thought that either you're 100% with us or you're not a pure vessel, that sort of thing. Uh, Kemp, like I said, is aiming this sort of stuff at Hunter Hill, and he's also, and he's successfully done it, too. He's gotten he's gotten a lot of publicity off of this. I mean, they've interviewed him on, you know, Fox News, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he wants it just to get him enough votes to make that runoff, and then, then you know, in his mind, it's a, a new and fresh election. Uh, that's what this is all about, and I think he's going to be successful in at least finishing second in that race. Yeah, and we can get on to the next part, but one, and Tim, I guess I'll have to ask you since you saw the ad. I noticed he squints a lot, and my thought when I saw the ad <laughs> is he didn't look like George W. Bush. He looked like Will Ferrell playing George W. Bush. Uh, did you notice that? I mean, I don't know if that takes away or adds anything or anything. He just looks all that squinting. He just looked uncomfortable. You know what? You know what he didn't look to me? He didn't look comfortable holding a, a gun. He didn't look right holding one. I, I wonder if he's accustomed to holding them because he just didn't look right holding a gun. Like, it really was a prop he had in his hands, you know. Um yeah. Yeah, he. Well, I, I, mean, I don't. I don't think he's a genuine person. I, I've never thought he was a, a genuine, you know, guy, a, a real guy. I mean, he just appears that way to me. But still, I believe that ad is going. Those ads, those two ads, are going to push enough buttons that that it's going to at least push him into second place. I, I really do believe yeah. that. I hate to say that too, but I believe it. Now I know in the ad with the the, the boyfriend, if you will, um, he was inside his home. Um, I, I don't know if he was inside his home in the second ad. I know a lot of it took out, out uh, took place outside. Um, even though him exploding the dynamite in his home might have had quite great comedic value, um, but I mean, obviously, anybody that has any good sense ain't gonna go sitting around with a gun in their lap in their own home. Um, as they watched TV during daylight hours, because I remember clearly that it was daylight. It just made no sense. I mean, nobody at night, for that matter, either. So it just made no sense. It was just, that's what I mean. It was so surreal. I mean, I think somebody even mentioned it like a Saturday Night Live satire of an ad. Um, uh-huh. That as well. So it's just kind of crazy. Well, now, Catherine, you've seen another ad from Casey Cagle, but the main one he's put points behind and he led with was one where two of the main themes, not the only themes, but two of the main themes, were technical education and recruiting jobs to Georgia. Um, what does that say about where each of these candidates' polling is, that one candidate feels comfortable enough to talk about issues that probably much closer to 50% of Georgians actually care about as opposed to these fringe issues? Because I just don't know that anywhere near 50% of Georgians want somebody to start rounding up people in their pickup trucks, um, becoming their own INS, because if you know anything about current trends, illegal immigration is down, regardless of how you feel about it. So it's not a pressing issue. What do you think this says about the, the front runner and the guy trying to be number two? Well, I think that you have to see this new Casey Cagle ad. Because it's all about, um, it's very strongly worded, and it's got all kinds of, you know, nasty, um, scary images of, um, you know, tattoos and, um, you know, criminal, you know, uh, criminals, brown-skinned criminals. And, I mean, it's very, um, it's very ugly. So I think, you know, I agree with you. The previous ad that Casey Cagle was running was more optimistic, and it was like we need to bring, you know, we need to train our um, our young people so that they stay in Georgia and, to, and and bring all these jobs here for them and all this. But this new one is right up there with the Brian Kemp one. Yeah. So uh, it's getting I mean, close to Election Day, so they're all getting – you know, much um, more edgy. 
Yeah, and, and it's sad that he's going there. I, I, w- I kind of wish the Republican candidate would come out and say, you know, they could say, I'm against illegal immigration. I believe people should come here legally. But you know what? The chances of an illegal immigrant taking your job is point zero 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 something percent. And a chance of an illegal immigrant that actually is a criminal coming here and committing a property or violent crime against you is point zero 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 something percent. But the odds are that you're going to get stuck in traffic or your health care is going to cost too much or the educational system could be better and it will affect your life really matters. It's actually a whole number on all three of those cases. And people would just begin to see it doesn't even matter how you feel about that issue. That issue has very little bearing on the average Georgian's life, um, especially well, on the folks we're talking that. about that are the Republican base. Not that it may have family members. That's a little different, but I'm talking about the Republican base. The, the odds of them affecting them is just minuscule. He's Catherine? sending them raw meat. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want them saying stuff like that. But just might pull some of our voters. Let them do what. Well, I'm just saying. Let them go at each other. I love it. Well, but I I wouldn't mind if everybody would just maybe disagree, but tell the truth. I I mean, let's debate in facts. Let's debate with you know you know (laughs) Barack Obama. I think quoted Daniel Moynihan: "You can have your own opinion, but you can't have your own facts." Uh, I just wish we'd all have the same facts. Trump I does, know he does, and he got away with it. I, I want less of that, not more. He's not the role model. I want that to go away. I want us to reject that as a democracy. Well, guys, uh, once again, thanks to Lowell, and it's been a great show. Glad to have us all back putting some audio down. Till next week, been the Cozy Vine. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there and all the people night, who actually guys. serve as mothers. Good night. night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united